Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. So you're assuming that if I'm authentic, I'm that you're implying that that has to be good to be authentic. And you can be authentically good or authentically bad. Even though they're doing something that I like, I, it feels authentic. And I think that you, you nailed it there. That therefore makes me not trust them. Because sometimes the mask slips. Yeah, you feel like they're doing something else that you can't see that may be offsetting. Yes, I agree. I agree. That, and and got to say, mate, this is the first time on this podcast that I've agreed with you, but I'm only joking. Yeah, that was inauthentic. <laughs> I didn't believe you for a second. Not consistent. So, Colin, I've only been to England a handful of times. Right. I, I assume that you've had something to do with that, encouraging the government to discourage my visiting. Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I know. I understand. I understand. I didn't, I didn't realize that you knew, mate. Yeah. No, I mean, I. <laughs> you can only you can only get that message so many times. Uh, one of the times that I visited, um, I, I visited, I went to a conference at uh, London Business School. Uh, which oh, yeah. Was great. And uh, man, I loved visiting London. It was fantastic. Yeah. That part of the city, I was surprised to learn, the London Business School is actually nearly adjacent to Baker Street. Yes. Yes. It, it's actually in a, there's a cut through that that's, I use that as a cut through to avoid traffic. And it's actually near a place called Regent's Park. Which yes. Is, uh, yeah, I was able to walk through there. Beautiful. Yeah. 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 But this is the Baker Street. As in 221B Baker Street, yeah, where Sherlock just, Holmes. Just, just down the road. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's, it's like literally right around the block from London. Yeah. And so I was reminded, as I was walking around the London Business School, they have a Sherlock Holmes museum on Baker Street. It's not actually at 221B. Uh, somebody lives there, apparently. <laughs> but it's yeah. a couple doors down. It's very close. There's always a line outside. Back. There's always a line. Yes. Yeah. Very, very popular attraction. If you go inside, then they've they've set up an apartment uh, at, at on Baker Street to look like Sherlock Holmes's apartment as described in, in the books. There was a, a professor at London Business School named Kent Grayson. Uh, he's now at, at Northwestern. Uh, I, was, sorry, can I just stop you there? Because yeah, I thought it. you were going to say there's a professor there called Moriarty. Yes, and uh, he, I should have, that would have been a better transition. Um, math professor, uh, always had chalk on his hands. Uh, no, uh, so Kent Grayson, who I was able to take a class with when I was a student, is a, a fascinating guy. And he's very interested in the topic of authenticity. And so when he was at London Business School, he conducted some research where he went and talked to people visiting this museum. Now, they call it a museum, it's actually not a museum, right? I mean, museums are things factual, that are real, right? The, you know, a history museum, an art museum. You're going to actually see the thing. Sherlock Holmes was a fictional character. 
there was no apartment that he actually resided in. The people who went in, they, they saw this replica and he came out and he asked them about the authenticity of the museum. And that should have been, this is some of my favorite kinds of research, where the question itself should have been too absurd for people to answer, right? Sure. How, how authentic was the museum of this fictional character? Sure. <laughs> and people had opinions, right? And so people would be like, well, I thought this room was very authentic, but you know, the bedroom did not seem very authentic to me. Or, you know, this this piece of furniture was actually anachronistic. It was from the wrong you know, It was from IKEA. It was from <laughs> Exactly. He did Sherlock Holmes did not like Scandinavian modern furniture. Everybody knows that. So we wanted to talk today about authenticity, and I thought I would start with that. Yes. Because authenticity, it turns out, is way more complicated than we maybe think that it should be. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and providing an authentic experience, yeah, and we've, we've actually had a listener ask us, you know, to whether we could deal with this subject because they're, they're, they're questioning sort of authenticity. It's interesting because when you start to think about authenticity and, and there's been books written on the subject, there's been lots of discussion about providing and being authentic. There's part of me that sort of goes down and goes that it's not rocket science. Yeah. Authenticity is about, are you genuine and are you, are you real? Okay. Now, the interesting bit for me is when you start turning around and going to the, the Baker Street example and the Sherlock Holmes example, is as you were talking, it made me think that in certain people's minds, that is what it looked like. So the construct that they had in their minds as they read the book was it's going to look like this. And we've all done this. We've all read books or whatever else and and thought to ourselves, it's going to look like this, you know? And what I guess they're measuring it against is that construct in their brain, aren't they? Yeah. So, I mean, you said it's very simple. They just need to be real. And then you immediately contradicted yourself. Uh, because <laughs> I can do that, though. I'm in business, mate. I mean, well, you, just you're in very academia. You have to it. from you, um, <laughs> which we can dig into. I agree with both sides of that because it should be really straightforward, right? We deal we we deal with judgments of authenticity all the time. And yeah. so it shouldn't be hard for us to figure out what makes something authentic. And yet when you dig into it a little bit, I mean it it has to feel real, but it clearly doesn't have to actually be real as as that example illustrates. But it has to feel real. And I, I think you're right that, that we've built it up as a construct in our mind, and that's what we're evaluating it against. If we think about a lot of movies that have come out of books, for example, a lot of times the, the people who loved the books the most yeah, yeah. will be most dissatisfied with the movie, in agree. part because it doesn't feel authentic to the book. But in many cases, the book was also fake. I agree. I, I think it is. And it's the interesting bit is, what is it that makes you think that? Okay. So it's the, again, it's the little things that I think that people pick up on. So let me give you 
Let me give you an example. LinkedIn have started to do collaborative articles, okay? And a collaborative article is basically what they've done is they've got their AI system to address a business problem. The other day they had one on um, how to create a customer loyalty program, okay? And they're asking people, They're ask, I'm a top voice, as you're not aware, on LinkedIn, and they're basically asking top voices to go in and comment, and then they're asking other people to go in and make comments. But it's a collaborative article because you're basically putting, after a paragraph, you put your thoughts. So it's a, it's a good way. It, I have to say it's a good way of, um, of getting people to contribute and getting the best that uh, best minds thinking about it, basically. The long and short of it, though, is that when I've started to read these articles, I've thought, yeah, they're being produced by AI. Now, I know they're being produced by AI, let me be clear, but uh, it feels like I can tell this is being produced by AI. And part of the reason is it just feels like motherhood and apple pie. And, And again, it goes back to, and I don't know the answer to this, but where are they drawing their data from? By definition, it will come out as being some form of average. And therefore, by definition, it comes out to be motherhood and apple pie. I guess if I was arguing for what they were doing, you're then getting people to contribute to the article that is taking it from so they've done the 80 percent and they're getting people to contribute to article which is like the 20 percent that ai doesn't do or the different opinion that that comes out of things but the point i'm trying to get to that ties back to this authenticity piece is just as i read it i think yeah it's not it's not written by a person is it and you can tell from some of the chats that you have with the chatbots that you have on on different websites, you think, yeah, I'm not interacting with a human being. I'm interacting with a robot here. The words are right, but it's just something about it that doesn't feel right. It feels inauthentic, but also that'll bother you more or less, I think, depending on the content of that also. Like, I, you know, you and I have, have talked about ways that we've started to use AI and chatbots and um, our chat GPT, for example. And so we're both comfortable with the technology, but I would suggest that it's probably for certain types of information, not for others. You know, the, I've been reading stories about companies who are hiring, who've started running screeners for AI. And if your your letter of interest, your cover letter or, or your resume comes up as sound is being too much generated by AI, then they'll flag you and kick you out of the system. They don't want to interview you. Which, on the one hand, like I, I get because it doesn't feel authentic. Like it, you know, if you really wanted to work here, you would put in a little bit of time. On the other hand, if you're getting all the information that you need from these people, what matter does it? Is it that it comes through an AI bot? Um, I think that these perceptions of authenticity drive a lot of our reaction to things. And for certain things, they matter a lot. And for certain things, they'll matter less. Yeah. Lots of organizations are saying they want their experience to be authentic. I would say that there are a lot of organizations out there who are providing an authentic experience 
is just crap. Their experience is just bad. Yeah. And they're being authentic because inwardly they're not customer focused and therefore they're not providing. They're, they're being authentic because they're providing a bad experience because that they don't think of the customer. Okay. I think the issue for me is what they're really saying is they don't like the image or the experience that they're projecting and they want to be something else. And what they're trying to do is pretend they're something else without actually looking at the core reasons yeah, that are causing them not to be customer-centric. All they think they can do is put this mask on that says, we look like this. And what happens is the customer, just like we were having the conversation with about LinkedIn, the collaborative article, it's the customers looking at it and going, you're telling me that, but you're not that, are you, really? And that means that that's not, this is not an authentic experience. So the I like the distinction that you made there. The way I would frame it is, uh, I agree with you. I think that the experience is authentic in many cases to what the company is. It's the messaging that's inauthentic now. Sure. Right? So that's the mask that you're talking about. Like, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't like people thinking about our terrible customer experience. So we're going to talk about how important it is for, for people to have an authentic experience. We're going to talk about how important it is for our customers to be happy. But all of that is very inauthentic. That does not reflect sure. who the company is. And because they're then doing it across many different multiple touch points, classically with a large corporate, then the propensity of different experiences coming out there is clearly much larger. I think what it says to me is you've got to go, if you want to provide an authentic experience, you have to start at the beginning. So let's assume that you are providing, you want an, an authentic experience. I guess the question, the first question, actually should even be, why? <laughs> so why do you need a, an authentic experience? And I presume the answer would be, because it will get us more money. Okay. And therefore, by definition, you're then into going, well, what does the customer value? If authentic means genuine, you can be authentically bad or authentically good. If you're authentically bad, then that, I presume, is going to reduce your revenues. If you're authentically good, then it defines what actually good means. And that should be defined by the customer uh, as to what they're trying to, what they would value. And then the organization should be created in what's providing value. Does that make sense? It does. That was quite a journey to get there, um, but it does. Yeah. Can we stop here and try to define authenticity? I thought I had, mate. Genuine and real. I mean, come on. What, how else can you improve that? But what does that mean? Genuine and real to whom? Like, So what? there's one distinction as we talk about this, and I'm, I'm not sure what the answer is. Are you authentic because you are being true to yourself as a company in the experience that you create? Or you are authentic in delivering to the customer something that they want? Or both or neither? I would go back to it and say authentic means it feels genuine and, and I'm trying to be careful with my words. It feels genuinely real 
to the customer. Go back to Sherlock Holmes. That clearly wasn't real, but it felt real to a certain group of customers. That felt genuinely real to a certain group of customers. That's got nothing to do with whether the customer wanted that or not. So I can be authentically bad. I can be authentically aggressive. That's not going to get me any business. Am I making sense? It, yeah. But I, like, I wonder if, like, if I have a terrible exchange with my cable company, yeah. will I walk out of that going, well, that was an authentic experience? I think where we're differing, and it's good that we differ because that's where we get some of the richness, I think. You are assuming that being authentic generates more money. So you're assuming that if I'm authentic, I'm that you're implying that that has to be good to be authentic. And you can be authentically good or authentically bad. Actually, That's true. You're being, you're being real. You're being genuine. The, the, the fact that it's, a, it's another rubbish cable company, that that's authentic, that's real, that's genuine. But uh, actually, it's not going to get anybody any money. That's fair. The firms, though, that are saying, hey, we need to make our experience more authentic. Yeah. They're talking about something that would improve the customer experience. Like the customers want an authentic experience but they don't want to interact with the cable company. Yeah, so this is why it's just such an interesting topic to me. Right. I believe that the companies that are saying, and I could be just swimming against the tide here, by the way, okay? But the companies who are saying that they want an authentic experience are actually saying that they want to have a good experience that the customers value and by being authentic, is the, that's the way that we can deliver that. Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000, that's very impressive, Colin. That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, hey, beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. <laughs> it would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. <laughs> anyway. If you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go onto LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. So is it possible to have a good experience that is inauthentic? Let's go back to your example, okay? Sherlock Holmes. That was inauthentic, wasn't it? It's what's not real. It was not experienced as inauthentic. So that's in the customer's mind, though. Yes. That's the difference. So, so or the way it was perceived by the customer. This is a good subject. I like this. <laughs> so that's the way it was perceived by the customer, isn't it? So it wasn't real. 
so by definition of authenticity or by your definition of authenticity yeah by mine yeah 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 i I mean i think that that was an experience where that was not real but it was authentic again in the minds of consumers and the people who went there it felt authentic now i could argue this is what i do all the time i argue with myself by taking contrary views i could argue it was authentic to the reader of Sherlock Holmes' books, even though it was fictional. From a market perspective, you know, you and I have said this a lot. The only thing that matters is customers' perceptions of things. And so from that perspective, it can be authentic without being real necessarily. I think the interesting bit for me is that, so if you looked at it from the opposite way, and you say, what's the problem with something being inauthentic? Yes. Okay. That's a good question. The problem with something being inauthentic is you don't trust that. That seems very profound to me. That, that sounds right. Yeah. So if somebody is, has somebody got the mask on, as we've said with different examples here, you can tell that there's something wrong. It's there's something out of kilter here. Yeah. And therefore, I start to become wary. I mistrust it, etc. If I feel it's they are being genuine and real, I feel I can, I wouldn't even say I feel I can trust it, actually, because you go back to the bad, bad experience with the cable company wouldn't mean that I can trust them. But I least, at least I know that they're going to be bad. And at least I know that this is likely to happen. Yeah, I mean, consistency is a kind of, is a precursor to trust, I think, right? So even if you're consistently bad, I I can trust that you'll continue to be bad. There's more to it than that, but I think that's an important part of it. But I like like what you're saying there, because I I, I keep thinking about companies that greenwash or that do some some other kind of socially responsible action where it just does not feel authentic. So there's some offering and they're, I don't know, donating to to a charity or they're doing something to conserve energy. But that doesn't like, so now they're doing something I want them to do. Supposing that I I value the environment a lot. So now this company is doing something that I want them to do. They're doing good. That should be improving. But because I don't feel like it aligns with their values, I don't feel like it aligns with who they really are. Sure. Even though they're doing something that I like, I, it feels authentic. And I think that you you nailed it there. That therefore makes me not trust them. Because sometimes the mask slips. Yeah, you feel like they're doing something else that you can't see that may be offsetting. And for reasons that you don't know, and maybe it's just me being suspicious in my old age, somebody's doing something that I think there's an ulterior motive for. I just don't know what the ulterior motive is. And by definition, and maybe this is loss aversion coming in here, I think I'm going to get screwed somehow, somewhere, a lot down the line because I don't understand where they're coming from. So here's an interesting one is the game that you play, again, cable company, okay? So here I am in Florida. I thought to myself, I'm going to contact the cable company because I've I've had a hundred meg of download speed, and I'm sure I could get more than that. Okay, so I'm going online. 
and I'm looking at what packages I could get, etc. I then phoned them up and I inauthentically said, I'm going to leave you and join the company, another company. And they said, oh, don't do that. We'll give you a really good deal. And they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I guess, but I knew that, that that was what would happen. I trusted in their, I don't know what word I would use to describe it. I trusted that they would follow a bad, what I consider to be a bad practice. Because for me, if you're a loyal customer, you should be getting the better deals anyway. Just out of interest, I increased the speed from 100 meg to 1 gig, and I'm now paying less money. I mean, how can you justify that? It, that just makes you feel like a sucker before. Yeah, no, yeah. absolutely. And and you go, yeah, but but to be honest with you, are they being authentic? Yeah, I just wouldn't trust them as far as I could throw them. So I think that this is, uh, you've convinced me on on this point. So I think that the way that I would phrase it, and see if you agree with this, if we're looking at improving our customer experience, we can consider valence, right? So is it a positive experience or is it a negative experience? If it's a negative experience, it doesn't matter what else you're doing, right? Authentic, inauthentic, like it's just, it's a bad experience. You need to fix that first. If we're in kind of positive territory where you've got an experience that is is overall good or at least not bad, then other factors start to matter. And among them is authenticity. So far, so good. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So if if you're, you're already providing your customers with a positive experience, one of the things they're going to start to factor into that is how authentic is that experience. And I think we've come to an agreement that that tends to matter because it, it flows back into perceptions of trust. If it's a positive experience, but it feels inauthentic, then that that's a sign that I don't trust you as a company. Yeah, you see, I would argue that you shouldn't be trying to providing an authentic experience. You should just be doing it. <laughs> it should be authentic. So it's not a question of trying to be authentic. You are authentic because that's the way that you are. End of story. That's a factual statement, but what matters is how customers perceive you to be. Sure. Right? So if you're providing a positive experience, right? Like if if a, if this company starts greenwashing and starts like promoting its environmental cred, that, you know that's a positive experience, and they're doing something more. But it could that could reduce my perceived authenticity. So I think it's it's you, I resist the idea that anything you do is authentic, because anything you do is reflecting you know, your true values as displayed by the fact that you're doing it. I think that perceived company motivation matters. Perceived company motivation matters. I think where we, we're, we're coming to is it's the perception of the customer and the feeling of the yes. customer. And I wouldn't say that they would... So their perception of what the organization is doing, if they feel that the company is being genuine or being real or being authentic, they may not be. But if the customer feels that they are, that's fine. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the major driver. And I think the last part of this is something you mentioned earlier, which is that a large part of the sources of inauthenticity 
may come from the company's communications, right? So if if we are saying we are something we are not, then any action we take may be authentic to your point earlier, but it is now inconsistent and that therefore makes it feel inauthentic because we can't. So I, I think it's certainly about the messaging, but it's that phrase, isn't it? You know, actions speak a thousand words. So it, you can tell me about Actually, things. pictures are worth a thousand words. Actions speak louder than words. Thank you very much. Yeah. That was me authentically. to show how authentically I'm, poor I am. Uh, I'm coming up with authentically. <laughs> it's my brain. Yeah, whatever you said. So it's all about it's all about the actions. Yes, it's it's about the messaging and the actions. You can say one thing, but actually, if you then start doing something else, there'll be you, many examples of going. Well, don't you saying that? But you're not saying that. The way you phrase that, I'm gonna I'm gonna tie us off here with one last bit of theory that uh, just occurred to me. Okay, within ourselves. If our actions and our behaviors, uh, our actions and our beliefs, rather, are inconsistent, that causes cognitive dissonance, right? So if I, if I believe two things that are in conflict or if I believe something and then I don't act in accordance with it, that is very uncomfortable and leads to a lot of behaviors. And, and we've talked about cognitive dissonance before. It's an idea that's very popular. The way we've been talking about authenticity here strikes me as kind of an external version of cognitive dissonance. Where if you as a company are saying one thing and behaving in a different way, that makes me feel uncomfortable and makes you seem inauthentic in mind. Yes. Mind. Yes. And therefore yes. makes me trust you less. Let's take a step back, because I think with this one, we could carry on talking about this for the next hour, to be honest with you. It's been fun. But, but let's not do that for the poor listener what do we take out of this what's the practical things that come out of this then sure let let me go first if i may please the interesting bit i think have come out of this for me is that it's more to do with the dangers of being inauthentic than the plus side of being authentic because as as i've argued that the authenticity you can be authentically bad and authentically good but it's what's the downside of not being authentic i think the other thing that we haven't spoken about that i think is important is that if you want let's assume now that you want to be authentically good yeah and you want to provide an authentic experience then rather than get a mask on and provide that experience for instance you should be employing people who are naturally good at that you shouldn't be employing anybody and then sticking a mask on them And let me give you an example of what I mean by that. Particularly over the last year, since we've been having all the problems of post-COVID and labour shortages and everything else, I think one of the mistakes that organisations have made is they are just recruiting anybody, put anybody in a a service role. And there's a number of people that, that just shouldn't be in the service roles, basically. And therefore, if you want to provide an authentic experience, you've got to pick people who are naturally good at providing service or emotional intelligence and we did a podcast on that a few weeks ago if you want to be authentically good then you need to be making sure that everything in your organization is aligned to that including recruitment training measurement etc etc because all those things help you be authentically good to your customers 
Those are all good. I would just reemphasize this idea of, of acting consistently within your organization. Make sure that what you're communicating is consistent with how you're behaving. It also struck me as we were talking that I think a lot of the problems of in, inauthenticity come from inadequate customer centricity. So if we have the customer as central to our business model and that all the decisions that we're making, then we should be authentically creating value for the customer. If we think like an example of greenwashing, for example, we've got a company where its focus is not necessarily pro-environment. Its focus is something else. But then we identify, oh, there's these large groups of customers who seem to care about environmental factors. Let's try to like incorporate that into our offering. We're not changing anything structurally about our business. That's not what our brand stands for. That's not who we've been. We're just kind of like papering that over our offering. And that feels very inauthentic. Whereas if we were had more customer centricity, if we were more all in on focusing on our customer, recognize that our target customer really values environmentalism. That means we need to, to be aligned with that in everything we do. And then that should, over time, feel more authentic. Yes, I agree. With you. I agree. With you. And and got to say, mate, this is the first time on this podcast that I've agreed with you. But I'm only joking. Yeah, that was inauthentic, Colin. <laughs> I didn't believe you for a second. Not consistent at all. This was fun. Great. Yeah. Good. Okay. So interesting debate. Thank you. And we look forward to having another interesting debate uh, next week. Uh, also so, not authentic, Colin. Nobody's believing. Not authentic. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. We definitely don't look forward to having a, an authentic <laughs> discussion next week. So, okay. Look forward to talking to you next week, everyone. Cheers. Thanks very much for listening to the show today. We really hope you've enjoyed it. And if you have, it would be really great if you could leave us a review. This has been The Intuitive Customer with Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton. But it doesn't end here. Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.